Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello. It's Ayers on the Road. We are so happy that you joined us today. It is going to be a beautiful day. We are continuing with our little ongoing series on that wonderful, all-important three-letter word called joy. And I think this is our, our sixth, no, maybe our fifth segment on joy, obviously tying it to family life and to parenting and to marriage. And obviously, speaking of joy, not as happiness or pleasantness or everything's going great, but as a deeper thing where we all try to find the true positive meaning in life, even when life gets tough. And boy, for a lot of us over the last pandemic, we've had some tough times. Who knew last year at this time that we were just heading in for another year of crazy life, a life that Hopefully we never live again, but that has taken a huge toll on the world. And hopefully now we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we're not done yet. So we've talked in the last few weeks about joy schools, this wonderful preschool curriculum. We've talked about four different levels of joy. We've talked last week about all the multiple sources of joy and how to look for them more. We've mentioned a lot of little quotes that we love about joy. Uh, we've talked about the, the secret that we tell our grandchildren that we try to beat into their heads that joy is the purpose of life and it's a choice you make every day. So we've covered a lot of ground so far, Linda. Yeah, we have. And if this is your first time, um, we, we welcome you. If you're following us along once in a while, we appreciate that because we know that you are feeling some joy on the other end. So today we're going to talk, uh, get this for a title. I think you'll like this. The Robbers and the Restorers of Joy. Wow. We want you to think for a minute about your own life today, your, particularly your life with your, with your family. And that means all of you, because we all have families. Don't anyone tune out and say, well, I don't have a family. We all have families. We're all part of families. Absolutely. In fact, when we, we have spoken often to a lot of different audiences, and sometimes people come up afterwards, because we always talk about families, and they say, you know, the problem is I just don't have a family. <laughs> and we go, well, really, where did you come from? Because we all have families and they become more and more important, especially for those that are single without a spouse, but that have a family. So whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a sibling or a nephew or a niece or a parent or a marriage partner, let's focus in on what can rob you of the joy that we believe we're here to get. Again, we've mentioned almost every week now for more than a month that we think joy is the purpose of life, and there's this gorgeous scripture that we, I guess it's our favorite, wouldn't you say? We have a lot of favorites, but yes. Adam fell that men might be, and men and women yes. are, that they might have joy. So what is that deeper joy? How do we get it? And let's start out, Linda. I'm just going to throw the question at you. Um, look, we've got so much in this world. We live, even the poorest among us, you could argue, have more 
ease and more convenience than kings in older days. We are blessed in so many ways, but I don't think the joy quotient is higher than it's ever been. You could argue that it's lower. What is it? What is it that keeps us away from joy? What is it that stops us from finding it in our individual lives and in our families? Well, I have to add a little caveat. I mean, everyone is not, um, no matter where they are, experiencing joy. Those refugees um, who are, their lives are in danger, and those people who are starving because of the pandemic, those people in India who are still getting sick every day by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, um, there are a lot of reasons to not be joyful right at this moment. But usually what comes out of those really hard things are magnificent lessons. Yeah, Linda's been working a lot just today before we started recording this show on a refugee project she's helping on. And, you know, we could we talked a little last time about how giving service is a vast enhancer of joy. And that's why you're so happy today, Linda. You've been working on this project. I am. I'm feeling a lot of joy because I am getting our the young women in our ward, for those of you who are members of our church, you know what that means, but our um, congregation. congregation, our young women this summer are going to meet some refugee families. They're going to uh, go one-on-one, and we're going to exchange cultures. Uh, we're out here in Utah, so we're going to tell about uh, our, the culture of the 24th of July, because, you know, the pioneers that came into the valley and, and made all those struggles were refugees, too. Um, of the finest sort, lots of, lots of trouble, death, you know, um, trials, and so I think we can talk with these refugees um, with a little better ease about their trials. And I think most of the families, their families, and most of the ones you're working with are from different African countries, and they'll be able to tell you a lot about cultures that you've never experienced. Oh before. my goodness, we have a Rwandan family who have eight children who came a few years ago now, four or five years, but they came uh, because the grandfather was a part of the genocide there. The Tutus came into their home uh, with the children and said, who's gonna die, the mom or the dad? And the dad said, take me. And so they macheted him uh, to death right there. And the family was sent to a refugee camp for many years, and they are now here, but the good news is, wow, this family is amazing. Their oldest daughter just graduated from high school two years ago and is is writing these beautiful letters. His friend is trying to get him into a house in Utah, and I think they're, they're it's under contract right now. We're so excited about it, but it's going to be so fun for these young women to meet these refugees. One kind of joy you feel when you're around refugees is the joy of appreciation. They appreciate things that you and I take for granted. Absolutely. And we talked last week about how taking things for granted is one of the robbers of joy. But let me let me be a little theoretical here, Linda, and suggest, and we're going to work a little off of a, a book that we, a fairly new book of ours called The Happiness Paradox. But for today, we're going to call it The Joy Paradox, okay? And a paradox, as, as we all know, is something where you think it's one way, but it turns out to be almost exactly the opposite. And we're in a situation now where 
Um, so many things in our life can, that we think are going to bring us joy, are actually the robbers of joy. Let me try to explain that a little bit. Um, we, we, in fact, I'll start with a little story. I went in a bookstore a few years ago, and I was interested in the self-help book section in that, in that big bookstore. It was a big bookstore on Fifth Avenue in New York City, a big Barnes & Noble, and it had a huge section of self-help. And I went around looking at the titles and looking at the content, and I, what are people looking for? What are these, what are the, what are these self-help books? This huge industry of self-help, what is it trying to get us more of? And I did a little kind of an impromptu survey, an informal survey, and it seemed like the three things that all of the, virtually all these books were trying to get more of for people were number one, control. You need more control. You need more control of your life. You need more control of your circumstances. You need more control of your finances. You need more control of your temper. On and on and on about control, and we will help you get it. Number two, ownership. How do you become more wealthy? How do you become more rich? How do you have a bigger house? How do you have a bigger car? How do you own more? How do you gain more ownership? And number three, independence. How do you get so you can stand alone? How do you get so you don't need other people? How do you get so you're not codependent on anyone? How do you get so that you are the master of your fate? You are the captain of your soul and so on. <laughs> so I want you to think about those three things for a minute. Control, ownership, and independence. We're going to take a pretty bold approach today and tell you that we believe that those three things are actually the robbers of joy. They actually take joy away from us. They are. And sometimes you think, oh gosh. And in fact, I remember a new house. Yes, it's going to be so great. We're going to have a new house. Well, I have nothing against it because we're sitting in it now and I am grateful for it. But boy, that robbed us a little, of a little joy on the way through because so many things went wrong. So many hard things happened. But uh, we're not saying you're, you know, you don't, we don't want you to have stuff because obviously we all have a lot of stuff. But we have to be careful. We have to guard our stuff so that it doesn't take over our lives, and uh, which it did while we were building. But um, it is now a great source of joy. Well, in the second half of the show, we're going to actually be bold enough to suggest an alternative pursuit to each of these self-help pursuits that are so prevalent today. But before we do, let's let's kind of let's kind of go after these three things and give you our perspective on where they, why they are the robbers of joy. Think about control for a minute. Control, we get it, we, we, there are some things clearly we should try to control, our tempers, you know, we should, we should try to control our appetites. But we get into this control mode and we want to control everything. We, want, we have a list to do and we want to get that list. And if anything gets in our way, we see it as an impediment, an obstruction. Even if it's an old friend calling, we're like, wait, you're not on my list. You're taking me away from my things to do. I want to be in control. 
I want to be the one that decides what I want to do. And, and the, the humor in that is how little we really control, especially if you're a parent with children in your home, especially if they're young children. Um, we don't control very much. Things happen. And the question is, can we see the good in them? And can we find the opportunity in them? And can we accept them and not be frustrated by things that we can't control? You know, you are so right. Uh, and just as an example of this morning, um, I had a goal in mind when I sat down on the computer. And then what happens? You see something and they go, oh, I got to take care of that. Oh, I got to answer well, that. Well, that's oh, just I distraction, do that. right? That is distraction. <laughs> but it is, you just really have... It's a hard hard thing to control what you're really going for because you're distracted by so many things. And often it's children <laughs> and things that are really important. So so, so control, we just think about that as a problem. And, and before we go to a break, let's just think for a minute about the others. What about ownership? What's the problem with ownership? Well, you know, it's... It's greed. It's we always want more. It's that we're never satisfied. It's that we want to get something better than we have. And we're constantly looking to own more and own more. Um, you know, the, the old statement that says, I'm not greedy. All I want is the land next to mine. <laughs> All I want is a little more. All I want is to reach out a little more. And not only that, we actually think we're going to explain this more in the second half, but we think ownership is a fallacy. We think we don't really own anything. We think that God owns everything and we are, we'll get into the, the word that describes what we really are after the break. But just think about for a minute that both this constant desire for control and this constant desire for ownership tends to work against our happiness rather than for it. And the third one may be the most serious one of all, independence. I don't want to need anyone. I want to stand on my own. I want to be completely free of other people who I need. What a fallacy. I mean, in actual fact, we're all so dependent on God and on nature and on everything else and we're interdependent with the, with each other especially in our marriages and in our families okay i'm so glad you said that because in the next segment we're going to talk about whether or not you really do want a tesla so join <laughs> with us stay stay here we're, we're going to be right back stay with us welcome back to Iyer's on the road here's richard and linda Iyer. Are having fun today talking about joy and as a lot of other things that include joy. Thanks for joining us on Ours on the Road and, and consider with us that the, the very three things you might have thought would bring you more happiness are actually draining it out of you. Control, ownership, and independence. COI we call it. Now how do you get rid of those concepts or how do you modify them in a way that leads to more happiness? Well, first of all, it's hard to just get rid of something without replacing it with something else, right? I, that's true. If, if you're going to get a Tesla, you've got to sell 
a lot of things. <laughs> Linda's on this <laughs> Tesla kick. We got a couple, a couple of our kids that have Teslas, and they're just all of a sudden, when are you going to get a Tesla? Why don't you get the, the cyber truck? It looks like a good deal. Get rid of that old truck you've got. Oh, there's so much <laughs> stuff tem tempting your time and your money. It's true. So let's take it one at a time. What would be a new attitude or a new paradigm, a new sort of approach or view of life that would be better than the idea of control, wanting control all the time? Well, have we got a word for you? We do. <laughs> Consider the word serendipity. Isn't our favorite word? It's our favorite word. I think word. it kind of is. Um, serendipity, the definition, the real definition, not the movie definition or the popular definition, but the definition given to it by the man who coined the word, Horace Walpole, the son of a British prime minister. He felt like we needed this word. He had read a fable, a Persian fable, about three princes that went out to seek their fortune, and none of them found their fortune, but they all found something better than the fortune. One found love, one found loyalty, and so on. And he said, we don't have a word for that in our language. And since the name of the fable was the three princes of Serendip, which is the ancient name of what we today call Sri Lanka, he coined a word, serendipity. And here's how he defined it. A state of mind whereby a person, through awareness and sensitivity, frequently finds something better than that which he is seeking. Let me just repeat that. It's such a beautiful concept. Think of this in light of someone who's a control freak and how this might modify their view. Serendipity, he said, is a state of mind, or in other words, an attitude, whereby through awareness and sensitivity, we frequently find something better than that which we were seeking. So this doesn't suggest you don't have goals and you don't have plans and you don't have objectives and you, you, you want to be proactive and so on, but modify that desire for control with this attitude of serendipity where you say, hey, if I'm aware and if I'm sensitive, I'll find things along the way that are actually better than the thing that I was trying to get. And you know, if you think about that, you know exactly what I mean. Let's say, let's take a, a family example. You're, uh, we're in tax season right now. Let's say you're working on your taxes and your goal is to get them done. You want to be in control. You want to finish it up. But it's a lovely windy day and your, your little son comes into the room and he's got his little kite and he says, Mom, hey, let's go out and fly this kite. It's beautiful out there. The wind is blowing. And you're, and you're like, um, maybe tomorrow. I've got to finish this. I've got to do, get these taxes in. I've got to get to my accountant. I've got to be in control. Don't bother me. I may not say that, but that might be the attitude. What about just knocking off for a half an hour and doing something you could not have planned but it's there before you. What about a little serendipity? That is really true. And it happens every single day. And you need to remember that. The next time I come to the office and you're deep into writing something <laughs> and I need to tell you something, you just stop and listen. Yeah, you look at your spouse as a constant serendipity. <laughs> Whatever they need. <laughs> Whatever they need is what you want to give. Anyway, it is, it is really true. This is a deep and true concept. 
every single day you have serendipities. I have a plan for today. It's quite an interesting one. I'm going to be with some grandchildren. I'm going to be with a new friend that I haven't really been with before. Um, I'm going to do some driving. But I am sure that some things are going to happen along the way that I am not expecting. Well, think for a minute. What are, what are the categories of serendipity? What are the things you can't plan but when they happen, you should respond to them. You should get away from your idea of controlling your whole day and just go on this beautiful little diversion. Well, beauty is one of them. I mean, I'm just, it's a gorgeous day in the mountains where we are today. And it'd be, a, it'd be terrible not to, not to notice it. Ideas are another one. You may get an idea in the shower or while you're driving or whatever. It's a great idea, but if you're so consumed with what you're trying to get done, you may never develop that idea. A call from someone you hadn't talked to for a while could be a great serendipity. A person you notice that, that might look a little down in the dumps and you can cheer them up with a compliment or a hello. All these things are basically serendipities and they're powerful, they're amazing. And only people who are looking for them really find them. I know, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the lady who helped me find my phone at Home Goods. I lost my phone. That was totally <laughs> serendipity. She helped me until we found it in the locked drawer because somebody had found it on the floor and put it away. But there are every day the person standing in front of you in the line is an interesting person. You could just, if it's a long line, well, you can only stand six feet away now. So it's, <laughs> you have to it's talk a little easy, louder. It's not as easy, you have to talk a little louder. But um, the checkout person, even, you know, there's a usually a panel, a clear panel between you and them, but you can still ask them a question and learn some interesting things just on the little things. And you know, yeah. Linda, when you add the word spiritual to it, then it really gets interesting. Spiritual serendipity. So now we're not just talking about things you notice or opportunities that might present themselves if you're willing to see them or ideas that come or beauty, things you see through your four, your five senses. We're now talking about little nudges, little impressions, little spiritual you know, if we tune into those, if we want them, if we want to be guided in our lives, these little spiritual serendipities come where we just have a feeling we should call someone or we just get a little impulse that we should talk to a certain person or that we should wait a minute, pause, think for a minute. What is God trying to guide me to do? Those yeah. are the biggest kind. Those are the most important kind of serendipities. They are, and if we're if we're actually praying for those things those kinds of things we're more open to them we're more aware of them it's like I mean, tuning in on a radio dial if you in the old radio where you had to tune it carefully but if you got it tuned in and kept right. it there you'd get those impressions you know i hadn't thought about this but this was the most serendipity thing that's happened to me for a long time about a month ago i woke up thinking about refugees I had no idea why. That was a nudge. That was a nudge. Then I happened to go to lunch with my daughter, and next door was this girl who was, you know, working with this refugee family. It is absolutely amazing. And then I got an assignment to take the young woman to a new experience, and there we go. Oh, we're just, it we love amazing. talking about this. Let's right. get to the next one ownership. What's the replacement attitude for ownership? That's an easy one if you think about it. Stewardship. The more true paradigm is not ownership. We don't own things. Things pass through us. We might have a deed or a title, but they, everything's owned by God. We, we just are stewards. That's such a beautiful word. 
A steward is someone that takes good care of something that actually belongs to someone else. Stewardship is a great word for for the environment, for, for the earth, for taking care of the earth. It's a great word for parenting, taking care of our families. We don't own those children. They're not ours. We're stewards over them. They're our friends, our relationships. Once we get rid of this idea of ownership, ownership is a competitive word, right? If ownership is the trunk, the limbs that grow on that tree are greed or envy or condescension. I've got more than you. And, and you know, they're just all bad limbs. But if, if the trunk is stewardship, now we, we work together with others. We're as happy for their success as we are for ours. We don't, we don't covet more and more things. We just make the best of what we have. We want to be good stewards. We want to have the stewardships that we can do good with. Right, exactly. And sometimes we have more stewardships than we want. True. <laughs> um, especially if you have a lot of children and grandchildren. But, but they are all stewardships. They are all things that are so important. And um, this afternoon I get to do two little Grammy camps with my two grandchildren. Now that is stewardship. And it's going to be so fun to just dig into their little minds and see what they're thinking about. It, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do because they are, I mean, they're not my children, but I love them so much and they are part of my stewardship. So wouldn't it be awesome if we could all in our own minds replace the concept of control with the beautiful concept of serendipity. And if we could replace the joy robber of the paradigm of ownership with the new paradigm of stewardship, that would go a long way. Well, what's the third one? Independence. What is wrong with independence? Well, number one, it's kind of a lonely thing if you just think everything's on you. But more importantly, it's just false. No one's independent. We are also interdependent. It's amazing. And especially in our families, especially in our marriages, I think maybe one great definition of a good marriage is two people who have joyfully and intentionally given up their independence in favor of interdependence. I yeah. want to depend on you. I want to need you. I want to recognize that you're so much better at some things than I am. And maybe I'm a little better at you on certain things. But together as a team, we can do it. The concept of synergy. Maybe you're, maybe you're thinking ahead. Maybe you're saying the replacement paradigm for independence is going to be synergy. And you're half right. Right, right. <laughs> we had right. to create a. You, you might, you know, if you were a, if you were a savant, you might have noticed that serendipity <laughs> is an eleven-letter word that starts with S. Of course, you do. So is stewardship, an eleven-letter <laughs> word that starts with S. So we wanted to have an eleven-letter word that starts with S as the replacement paradigm for independence, and so we had to combine two words. We had to combine synergy and synchronicity. Synchronicity is a psychological term that basically means there's a timing and an interrelationship between things that we don't even know about, but it happens. There's a symbiosis. We all need each other. We all need to connect and be in touch and so on. So we put the two words together, synergy and synchronicity, and came up with an 11-letter S word that's called synergicity. 
It's perfect. That's <laughs> what we want to. That's what we want to replace independence. And with. you know, I'm just thinking about everybody needs this. Um, we are talking about families, but we have a son who is single still, and um, it is amazing. He is an introvert. He likes to be on his own, but he is a school teacher, and his third, fourth graders this year are part of his family. I mean, they're not his family, obviously, but they, he loves them so much and they love him so much. That synergy that he gets from that relationship is amazing. So you can do it no matter what. So to end, and we may carry on with this a little next week because we barely scratched the surface on this, Linda, but uh, uh, we, were, we were giving out some awards to social media people who have enhanced families the other day. And we got on the phone with a guy who was a total stranger who we'd never met. And um, he mentioned that he just read The Happiness Paradigm and how much it had meant to him. And so I thought just in ending today, we would let you in on a really cool secret. Our publisher is called Familius, and we have talked them into letting people who have a password get our books for the same price we get them. 40% off. So if you're interested in the happiness paradigm or any other book we've done recently, here's what you do. Go to familius, that's F-A-M-I-L-I-U-S dot com slash ire, and you'll see how to get this book or any others at the same price we can get them. For. Well, we'll be talking more about it next week. We'll talk we, more about it next we week. We hope you've enjoyed it today and that you've had a few thoughts. And we will continue these thoughts next time on Ayers on the Road. We wish you joy.